You're listening to Bachelor to Boyfriend, the podcast that teaches you how to manage your mind so you can show up as the best version of yourself around women. And now your host, certified dating and intimacy coach for men, Erica Davian. Hi, Jeremy. Hey. Oh, it's so good to see you again. Yeah, definitely. Well, for everybody who is tuning in to this, why don't you give a little intro? Yeah, thank you. I'm Jeremy. I recently got my license in mental health counseling. Prior to that, I was a meditation teacher for a handful of years, and I'm also a writer. Right now, I'm working with a private practice, seeing clients, mostly men at this point, just gravitated towards me. Um, I've got a men's therapy group for clients in Maryland and D.C. Mm -hmm. What got you interested in therapy? Yeah, such a good question. Long story short, uh, someone I was dating essentially gave me an ultimatum. She didn't put it that way, but she said, hey, you should go check out therapy. We were in a pretty rocky kind of moment in our relationship. This was six, seven years ago now. It took me a while. I hesitated a bit on that. Yeah, that makes sense, but just kind of got busy with work and other things and just kind of put it off and then eventually went. And I did one session with my therapist and was like, okay, I got it. Like she helped me with some things. Like I got to figure it out. I could take it from here. <laughs> I was done. I was ready. I'm like dusting off right. my hands. Yep, that's what it felt like. I remember driving away. Oh yeah, that, that really helped. I'm good. And I was excited to tell my partner, oh, I learned about this and talked about this. And I remember her reaction was like, that's great. Are you going to go back? Do you have your next session scheduled? And I was like, meh, maybe I'll get around to it again. A few months later, she uh, talked to me about ending the relationship. It was a pretty difficult breakup for me, pretty long relationship and meant a lot to me. So I remember that night, I shot an email to my therapist, like that night after the breakup, hey, need to work on stuff, like I need help. So dove into therapy from there, was also teaching meditation on the side. And I really wanted to go deeper with my clients at that time. With mindfulness, often it can be, there's a thought coming up. Okay, just let it go by, let it pass by, come back to the breath, come back to your body, come back to this present moment. And part of me just wanted to like, no, let's like focus on what the thoughts are. They keep coming up. Like there's gotta be something there. And I was learning through my therapy with my therapist that I'd been through a lot. I thought I hadn't gone through any trauma or had a normal life. Looking back at my childhood, there are moments where my parents, while they loved me deeply and still do, just didn't show up in the way that that I needed to emotionally. And this is just inevitable, I think, with, with everybody. Parents can't be 100% perfect all the time. And, and th- those experiences shaped me in terms of how I show up emotionally in my relationships now. And that was getting in the way in my prior relationship that ended. And so I wanted to fix that. I was doing that in my therapy. I wanted to bring that to other people. So I decided to go back to school and become a therapist and combine the meditation and mindfulness with ways of actually working with that trauma that we've all been through. What do you think have been like some of the core benefits to you in going through therapy personally? Mm. So the first one is I'm way less burned out than I used to be. The primary form that my anxiety takes is like the story that's always going through my head is like, oh, there's more work to do. My to-do list is never ending. I could always be doing more. You know, it even shows up now as a therapist. I could always be posting on Instagram more to get more clients. I could be working on my website, I could be networking with more therapists, taking more trainings. Like it just, this voice just never stops. And so the first thing I worked on with my therapist or my therapist helped me with is that I was able to learn that voice or that part of me was shaped by early experiences 
And one example is my teacher in kindergarten wanted to hold me back from going to first grade. They wanted me to take a year to do kindergarten again and then go into first grade. I was pretty young for um, my grade at that time for the class. And I remember being in the living room, just like really core memory I have, being in the living room, watching TV, and my mom's on the phone. She's on the phone. I don't know who she's talking to. It sounds serious. And then she walks in and says, they're trying to hold you back, but I'm not going to let them. You can do this. You got it. Hmm. And what's interesting about that is that it sounds really empowering. It sounds like my mom was believing in me and you can handle this. You got this. But it didn't land that way with me. Hmm. It didn't land is an empowering message and my mom's belief in me. I remember feeling like an alarm went off inside. Oh shit, I need to step it up. Like my teacher saying, I'm a failure. I'm not paying attention. Like it was just this whole story of I'm not doing enough. Mm. And now I'm going to go to first grade and I need to really keep up because I'm behind. That's not where that story was created per se, that one experience, but there are a number of those types of experiences early on that I uncovered in therapy. And it created this part of me that's, hey, there's more on your to-do list. You need to get more done. You need to do more at work. And in my 20s, before I went to therapy and started to notice that voice, I was burned out. I was so stressed. I, I ended up in the hospital with a complex migraine, which is they just don't know what that was. I lost vision for a while and was in the hospital and they were like, hey, it's probably just stress. And that was kind of my first indication. Something's wrong here. And also I wasn't present. And this was the issue in that prior relationship or one of them was, yeah, it was just I struggled to be present with people I really wanted to be present with because I was thinking about work. I was thinking about other things I needed to get done. And so therapy helped me start to notice that part of me and relate to it in a different way. See it as that little kindergartner that was like freaked out about, I need to do more. I'm like, oh, okay, no. So you can relax a little bit. It's all right. I'm here with you. Like just have an inner dialogue with that part of me. Mm -hmm. And then that part is able to relax a little bit. And okay, yeah, maybe it's time to take a nap or go for a walk or being present here at dinner with my partner. Because that's really what I want to be doing right now. The work can wait till later. So that was the biggest right. kind of first wow therapy is really powerful. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Cause I know I've seen that come up on some of your Instagram posts about burnout. And yet that's not something that I hear a lot of therapists talking about as a benefit, but I can totally see how that makes sense when you understand that part of yourself and why your brain is telling you again and again to do more. Having an understanding of where that's coming from is so valuable. Totally. Yeah. I really was so excited that you said yes to be on the podcast because I see so many men struggle with boundaries. In dating and intimacy, I see boundaries can come up as a problem when sometimes clients have boundaries that are too strong and that means that they don't let anyone in close or maybe the boundaries were too weak, which then allows women to walk all over them. Or maybe they're so afraid of crossing someone else's boundaries that's really getting in the way of them being able to really show their interest in a woman or escalate the relationship in any way because they're so afraid of hurting her. How do you describe what a boundary is to somebody who has never even thought about this topic before? Yeah, you know, I talk to the clients I have about boundaries by describing them as something that we do inside of ourselves and then communicate to others about our behavior not controlling someone else's behavior, not trying to put them within boundaries, putting boundaries around ourselves really in our behaviors in relation to someone else's. Mm -hmm. So it's about us, it's about you, it's not about the other person. 
Right, which is so important. And that was something for me that was this missing piece. Like for the longest time I thought the boundaries were just something that I needed to tell everybody else what they were. <laughs> Basically tell everybody else how they needed to react and what they needed to do in order for me to feel safe rather than focusing on what I needed to do to feel safe or comfortable or however it was that I wanted to feel. I really focused so much on controlling everyone else around me rather than changing things internally You're describing for me. me too. That's me. <laughs> All about controlling others. <laughs> yeah. And what has that shift been like for you when you started to see boundaries in this newer way? Yeah. My mind goes to an example about dating. I'm in a relationship now and actually getting married soon. And I've been in a relationship for a couple of years now. But the last time I was single for a few years and had plenty of time to date and I was using the dating apps and just seeing it as almost like a practice, like just setting up dates and learning about what I wanted in a partner, ways of dating and having these sorts of conversations around boundaries. And kind of towards the beginning of that period, I remember going on a handful of dates with a woman. I was really physically attracted to her and I felt like we had a lot in common. So like she checked a handful of boxes on paper. And then when we went to be physically intimate with each other, I was turned on physically, but looking back, there really wasn't an emotional connection there. And I remember being in a headspace of, she's very attractive to me and I should be wanting to have sex with her. I should be wanting to be intimate with her. So I'm just going to push myself and do it. And we were talking dirty and there was like a lot of chemistry, but I really wasn't looking at what was happening inside of myself. It was more of a story in my head of like, this seems like it's going to be a lot of fun. And I was listening to one of your other episodes about erectile dysfunction and sort of issues performing for people with penises. And that's what happened to me. You know, it was like two or three times where we tried to have sex and I just could not keep it up. And I totally freaked out. Mm. I totally was like, what's wrong with my body? A lot of shame came up. I should be turned on by this person. They're physically attracted to me. My friends say that she's attractive. I just felt a lot of shame around that. And so that pushed me to go to therapy even more. I think I'd been going like once a month. It's like, oh, I need to go every week now to work on this right now. I joined a men's therapy group as well. <laughs> like all hands on deck. Let's figure this out. Talk to friends about it. And yeah, that really shifted things for me around dating. When I got back into dating shortly after that, I remember having opportunities to have sex on the first date or in the second, like pretty early on with women where I was feeling that same kind of physical attraction and chemistry. But instead I like noticed what's going on inside of me. Like, am I really turned on right now? Do I feel safe enough? Do I feel like I want to get naked with this person right now? Do I expose myself and open myself up here? Is that what I really want? Like, is that what I really want? Not just what I exactly. think I should want. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and this is what I talk to a lot of clients who are men about is like moving at, at a pace that felt comfortable for me, like shifting back to, oh, it's okay to go slow. I don't have to have sex on the first date just because that's what a man is supposed to want to do. I can wait until I feel comfortable. And that really has served me. So that's one mm -hmm. example of a boundary of like saying, okay, having sex on the first date is not something that is going to work for me because I take a while to get that emotional connection, to feel safe enough, to bend my body to be turned on and to have fun. So that's one mm -hmm. shift where it was like, oh, this is actually really working. And I found that my partners actually really respected that and actually really enjoyed that about me appreciated it. Yeah. And that it can really make them feel safe and that they're free to express themselves or go mm. at whatever pace works for them when you're being yeah, honest so about true. what works for you. Yeah. 
Yeah, gosh, thank you so much for sharing that personal example because I think, especially when it comes to erectile difficulties, I can't tell you how many times I've heard exactly that story of like, I was with this woman, she was incredible. Some big part of me did want to have sex with her, but then it just wasn't happening. And then they think that something went wrong when really it can just be like, yeah, your body just wasn't ready. It's a whole new yeah. person. It's a whole new relationship. It takes time sometimes to feel comfortable and safe for the body to show up in that way. Totally. And I'm thinking of something you mentioned in your podcast episode that like in my teens and early twenties, my body just sort of worked in a way. It was just like filled with everything that it needed to just get turned on and go. And then something shifted in my late twenties and now in my thirties. And that scared me. Like I didn't know that was going to happen. So I really kind of blamed myself or just got really shamey about it instead of like, oh, actually my body has different needs now and it can move slow. And actually that ends up feeling a lot better in the long run anyway. You know, it gets the emotional connection that I deeply want. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so important too, because typically it's around teens that we start to sense ourselves as sexual beings. And we tend to think that just because it started in a certain way, that's how it's supposed to be for our whole lives. Like nobody ever told us <laughs> that sexuality is this thing that evolves and what turns us on when we're teenagers going to be different from when we're in our 40s and the things that we need are going to shift when we're in our 60s, right? It's constantly in a state of flux. And so we can never compare what our sex looks like now to what it looked like in the past, especially if we're talking decades ago, because it's always changing. Our bodies are changing, right? Totally. And I think I really want to underline when you said no one told us. No one's talking about these things mm -hmm. in the culture. And when I experienced my issues, all I thought of was like Viagra commercials with like dudes in their 60s and 70s taking pills. And like, not that there's anything wrong with that at all, but that's all I had, the only context I had. So I was like, oh, something's wrong with me. Mm -hmm. How can I possibly be this age and yeah. like, I don't look like the people in the ads? Yeah, and I feel really alone in this. Yeah. Because no one's talking about it. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, thank you for being that voice with someone talking about it. Well, you too. You too. <laughs> thank you. In the Boundaries episode that you listened to, I gave an analogy to help some people understand boundaries um, of describing driving a car and how you can never get into someone else's car and drive it for them. When you're on the highway the thing that you can do though where you have a lot of control is around what you do and how you're going to drive given that their driving behavior is whatever it is and so is there an analogy that you like to use that helps people understand boundaries i don't have one i think i'm going to steal that one <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> to <laughs> i've actually had people reach out to say that just that one analogy changed everything for them so i love it you're, you're welcome <laughs> to steal that that's great so what do you think are some common misconceptions about boundaries that especially men may have yeah often people think boundaries are about controlling other people's behaviors i'm thinking of clients i've had a few clients where not necessarily in a relationship context, but in say a family context, you know, particularly with their father, they think about setting a boundary as telling their father, don't be angry around me or don't say this, don't do this around me. Their gut reaction or their kind of intuition isn't to think about, okay, if you do that, father, if you say this or act this way, then I'm going to leave. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's the boundary for myself if you do X, Y, Z. They're trying to mm -hmm. get into the other car and tell that driver what to do. 
And it just never works. They're just perpetually running into an issue in their relationships around this. So even that, that analogy, like you said, is thinking of boundaries as, wait a second, what do I need? What are my needs here? And what can I do to try to meet them and take care of myself? Is like a complete paradigm shift for them. It's like a light bulb going off often when I share that with them. As it was for me. I hadn't realized how much energy was going into trying to control other people's behavior. Like I thought, oh, I'm so good at communicating boundaries. But really I was just telling other people what they needed to do and not focusing nearly enough on myself. So I get that total light bulb moment. Totally same here. So what tips would you have for someone who is maybe nervous about setting boundaries? It's a great question. Yeah, I think the first thing that I would do, if we were in a therapy session, I would get curious about that part of them that's nervous and then encourage them to get curious about that part of them that's feeling nervous about it. And we would explore that. We would explore it as a part of them, maybe try to find some kind of early experiences where maybe they tried to set boundaries naturally, or maybe as a child, and those boundaries were overrun or ignored or maybe this person's parents or some other caregiver kind of react in a way that made them feel unsafe. So there are probably reasons underneath this kind of nervousness for why it's there. And it served them at some point, likely when they were children, but it's no longer serving them now. Also letting them know that setting a boundary usually comes with some discomfort. Like usually someone is going to, I don't really love this. They're going to test it. They're actually, people are in a relationship are just going to continue along in the dynamic that's been created. And so if you try to shift something in terms of setting a boundary, you know, even if you communicate it in a very clear way and kind of lay it out and they agree to it, if you're thinking about it that way and you're communicating about it, it's not guaranteed that they're going to respect that boundary and not try to cross it just without even thinking about it unconsciously. And so there's going to be some discomfort there. You're going to get tested to hold the boundary. And so just letting them know that's coming and that it's okay to be with that discomfort. And if it's too much, you can always go back to the way the dynamic has been playing out and try again. I love that experimentation sort of mindset that you're describing of try something, see if it's working for you, see if this other person agrees. And that's one of the things we can always make requests of others. We can say like, hey, could you try to show up on time? Or would you mind cleaning up the kitchen before you come to bed? Or whatever it might be. We are always free to do that. And that can be a really great step before we get to something like a boundary. And, you know, quite often, like in relationship with someone, and we want that relationship to be great. And we'll say like, oh yeah, sure. Like I'll make more of an effort to be on time. But yeah, you're right. they still might not necessarily adhere to that. Yeah, and that's gonna bring up some discomfort often inside of us because we're turning against what's comfortable in some ways. Uh, may not be serving us, but it's comfortable. That's something also people can practice in therapy, but like being with that discomfort, being okay with certain levels of it, expanding our capacity to be with it, yeah. I love that. I love like the idea of anticipating discomfort and just normalizing that, that hey, that's part of yeah. this whole process. And the reminder that like you're already uncomfortable. <laughs> that is yeah. why you want to set a boundary is because you're all likely already dealing with some kind of discomfort. So why not trade the discomfort that you have 
for maybe a shorter term discomfort that yes. is actually going to lead to something that might work better for you, for both of you. Yes. I lost the Band-Aid. <laughs> yeah. So I work with a lot of really good guys. And sometimes they get hung up, I think especially with the Me Too movement. And these are men who really have an awareness of all of the stuff that women encounter on a regular basis. And they want to make sure that they are not crossing someone's boundaries. They really want to honor women's boundaries. And so what happens when they're so worried that they're going to cross some kind of line is that it puts them in a position of therefore waiting for a woman to always make the first move. Maybe they don't reciprocate their interest as fully as they otherwise would because they're so worried about crossing a boundary. And this pattern that I see for men who are relating to boundaries in this way is that often the relationship just fizzles out because they're being so cautious around boundaries that the energy fizzles. What would you say to a guy who's not working on his own personal boundaries, but is afraid of crossing someone else's boundaries? Yeah. Such a great question. It's so relevant to our time. So many of my friends, so many of my clients are dealing with exactly this. And I think the first thing I would say is get help, go to therapy, find a coach, join a men's group. I found that being able to talk about it with others has been so helpful in normalizing it sort of this kind of inner conflict around, I want things in life, I want things for my partner, but I'm afraid to voice them. Some part of me is now afraid because I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be the bad guy. I don't want to get canceled, whatever language we want to use around this. So yeah, getting mm -hmm. help is the first thing. I think one of the things I would say is communication and consent. And we talk a lot about consent, but I think what I've learned recently is enthusiastic consent. And for an example, when I was dating for that period during dating, I started to like at the end of the first date because I knew I didn't want to have sex because I had set that boundary for myself. Even if I was turned on, nope, I'm not going to have sex on the first date. It's just that's something that I need. I want to do for myself. But I may want to kiss the person if I'm interested in them. So what I would say is, hey, I want to kiss you. How does that sound? Naming my desire, but asking, how does that sound to you? Do you want to do that too? And getting that kind of enthusiastic consent. And it worked really well. And so I think taking that model and kind of, hey, I want to have sex with you. I want to do this. I want to do that. So here's another example in a relationship. Hey, I want to have a check-in every week. I feel like it'd be nice to have a check-in about our relationship emotionally. Love to do it on Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Because that's when I have an opening in my schedule. How does that sound to you? So there's a way to like sort of be initiative and lead in a way. And I think this works for everybody. I'm not saying men are the only people who need to be doing this. I think everyone should be. Here's what I think should happen. What do you think? How do you feel about that? Right? So like there's a way to like a middle ground. Because I think men get a lot of messages, dueling messages. You know, you've got all kinds of men's coaches and influencers out there who talk about men needing to take initiative and be the leader and be masculine and these traditional, quote unquote, traditional masculine values. Be a man. And then you've got the other side of like, oh no, actually I hear a lot of women are kind of tired of that and have been hurt by that. And I don't want to hurt other people. So we kind of get caught of like, I can't go in any direction here. So I'm just going to stay quiet and not name my desires. And as you said, the relationships fizzle out. But there's a way to be like assertive. Here's what I want, but I'm going to check with you. Do you want that too? What do you want? And let's find a way to collaborate on this. Yeah, that communication is so key, right? And once we've talked about it, then it becomes really clear 
what someone's boundaries are and what they're not. Totally. I think one of the gut reactions a lot of people have to that sort of advice is, and I've had this in the past, and I still have a part of me that kind of believes it's like, oh, if you talk about it, especially with sex and talk about boundaries and desires ahead of time, it's going to be less sexy. But I found it to be completely the opposite. Completely the opposite, right? Yeah, completely the opposite. <laughs> it allows us to feel safer and then take risks and have fun and really tr crank up the heat on things. But when it's all unspoken and like our nervous systems are in this guarded place, yeah. Yeah. It's harder to connect in that way. Awkward. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, I find it really attractive when somebody I'm interested in says, hey, may I kiss you? Like, <laughs> oh, it's fun to say yes. I think it's just, it's so charming and lovely. That's always a great reframe for anyone who's worried about consent being this awkward thing that they have to say. And I'm like, no, it's way more awkward to try to, you know, keep your mouth shut and figure out whether or not this person wants your arm around them. <laughs> totally. Totally. <laughs> That's what's awkward. Yeah. Mm. Well, Jeremy, thank you so much for talking with me today and for sharing all of the examples from your life and from your work. Mm, Erica, thank you so much. I'm a fan of yours. More of us need to be talking about this. Definitely women <laughs> talking about it, too. I really love that. Yeah, please remind everybody of your contact info. Yeah, so my website's jeremymoller.blog. There's a contact form on there. There's my email on there. And then I've got the Instagram therapist for the 99%. My newsletter, No Man is an Island. If you Google that, No Man is an Island. Substack or my name, you're going to find that. Awesome. Perfect. Thanks. Bye, Erica. Awesome. So good seeing you. Take care. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, you have to come check out Bachelor to Boyfriend, The Program. It's 12 weeks of one-on-one -on -one coaching with yours truly to help you finally move past the internal barriers between you and the relationship you want to create. Check it out at ericadavian.com. That's Erica with a K. And if you're curious, make sure to get your name on my mailing list so I can tell you next time doors open. My newsletter is my favorite way to connect with you all, and I respond to every email I receive. I can't wait to see you there.